Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with Lou Wise, who's the founder of Manufacturing Talk Radio. He's also the president of All Metals and Forge Group. If you're looking for industrial open die forgings or seamless rolled rings, you can look at those at steelforge.com and send his company a request for quote, and they'll get right back to you. Joining us today is Norbert Orr, who's our senior correspondent who covers the Global Purchasing Managers Index reports around the world, follows about 18 of those and several regional ones in the U.S., which are always important. Norbert, thanks for joining us again. Pleasure to be with you. So where do we start on the flock of starlings and where are they moving to at the moment in all of these purchasing managers reports? Well, as, as you know, we track uh, on our scatter plot uh, the activity of, of 18 different surveys. Uh, the, those surveys have been chosen for their uh, history, uh, that they have a fairly robust history. They have a consistency of reporting, all those, those things that make data more attractive. And so, uh, we follow those very closely and uh, uh, try to make notes about some that make, uh, 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 may, make a, uh, a big difference in uh, terms of uh, the decision making that manufacturers might make. So let me uh, give you a, a little idea of uh, what we're, we're looking at. Uh, and before we get before we get into that, Norbert, I just want to remind our audience that Norbert's going to cover the New York Fed in a few minutes. Uh, I think it's important that you stay tuned for that because there are some interpretations of it that are quite negative, and Norbert has a different positive spin on it. So, sorry, Norbert, go ahead. Okay, thanks, Jim. Uh, when we when we look around, I, I keep expecting that we're gonna lose momentum in manufacturing and in the overall economy. And I think there are already signs that we're losing that momentum. I keep uh, hoping that it's not one month we see things go off a cliff, but rather we unwind the way uh, the economy should do, which is would be most of these indexes losing about two points uh, a month in their PMI and slowly move, moving back toward the median. Uh, and uh, the, it has a bias toward winding up on the median and so on. But we're not seeing that, that move. What we are seeing is a, a move uh, toward uh, new orders weakening, supplier deliveries still lengthened, so there, there's a difference in that. And I'll get into that when we talk about the, the Fed a little bit. Uh, if we look at kind of who are some of the uh, uh, big players this month, uh, the Eurozone, which is the eight uh, European countries that, uh, that we follow uh, through the Eurozone. Uh, and that index came in at 55.5, down one point. Well, under most circumstances, uh, I would get up and dance around the room a little bit for a 55.5 uh, uh, reading. Uh, 
which says that Europe is still holding its own fairly decently from that. Uh, my fear is that large drop that we may be at 55 this month and very happy and contented that we are there, um, but we may not be able to sustain that. So that, that, that really concerns me. Uh, and uh, that, that includes uh, Germany, which is the bell bellwether for Europe. Uh, it include, and Germany came in at 54.6. So they're uh, not leading. If they're leading, they're leading the way down at this oh. point. And so uh, certainly we want to watch that. Uh, the Eurozone index uh, hit a 15-month low. So we know the timing parallels what, what we've been going through in the overall economy coming out of the pandemic, et cetera. Norbert, um, Norbert yes. do, you, do you think that the Ukrainian war uh, or military action, whatever you want to call it, is having an effect on uh, the rest of Europe in terms of beginning to show signs of dropping? Uh, I think so, Lou, uh, but both things are happening at the same time. You've got the war and you've got the cycle. And right. the cycle is heading down and the war is certainly going to depress much of, uh, much of Europe. Uh, if nothing else, uh, the spending <coughs> that won't uh, that won't happen uh, because of the Ukraine. I, they have done so much uh, destruction uh, that I don't know how you ever come back. Uh, I guess it was done after World War II, and uh, maybe they can do it again. Uh, but it's a tough situation. Uh, also. China is struggling. <coughs> uh, China had uh, 47.4 for the CFLP number, 46 for the Kaishin number. Uh, China is, or Japan is at 53.5. And that's the lowest since July of 2020. <clears throat> I'm sorry, forgive me. I'm uh, wondering if the China numbers are a direct result, Norbert, of the zero COVID policy <laughs> that they're implementing. It's a big part of it, Tim, uh, because everything is centered around Shanghai and uh, my experience with China is Shanghai is the manufacturing center. Beijing is the center of government. There's not as much going on from a manufacturing standpoint. And Lou, you probably got a good, excuse me, uh, springtime in Atlanta. Uh -huh. Yeah, uh, you, you've probably got some experience with that too. Is, is, this uh, is true. This is true. And um, so when Shanghai shuts down, it's a big deal. And both China indexes, one at 47.4 and the other at 46, 
both of them happen to be down 2.1 points this month. So uh, a, a major concern there. Uh, Japan is at 53.5, down six tenths of a point, and that's the lowest since July of uh, 2020. Germany, we talked about what we get there. Um, looking back at, uh, at North America, Canada has stayed up quite strong. They've benefited greatly from uh, working with us and, and uh, 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 having the consistency of the market and so on from that. But there are commodities driven and when the commodities start to turn and oil prices and, and so on, uh, Canada is going to lose a lot more, for instance, than we are. So uh, we, need, we need to watch that. Uh, some of the other surveys that we looked at, uh, the Texas survey was at 56.9, which is pretty much in line with the ISM survey. Um, but I, I think more importantly, we're really waiting to see what's going to happen with, uh, uh, with the U.S. economy, how fast it's going to unwind and how far it's going to unwind. There are other uh, reporting agencies and forecasters and so on that are uh, projecting and forecasting that our uh, manufacturing uh, economy and uh, uh, other aspects of our economy other than manufacturing is going to continue to grow until the end of 22 into 23. Um, there's a bit of a disassociation here. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard those numbers. Let's, let's hope uh, that that works out. I had a, a long conversation yesterday with a gentleman from a, a hedge fund, one of the smaller hedge funds, but one of the very good hedge funds. And we talked about it, the, this time, uh, you know, we always say, well, this time's different. And then when we get to into it, we say, no, it really wasn't different. Uh, but this time is different. Uh, you'll recall uh, when we talked back in 2012, the, the, uh, we saw the uh, economy starting to move. And the theme that I talked about during that period of time was that um, you have uh, a recovery and it was a, a very orderly recovery. In other words, first the housing market started to recover and it kind of carried the economy and carried the numbers and kept uh, the numbers looking good and growing. And then the next stage was the uh, 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 services industries started to come back and then manufacturing started. And so it was like, a, it, it was like st uh, starting up a cold plant uh, that uh, you uh, added to it and grew from that. Well, this time we have utter chaos. There's no theme 
that's running through all of that. The, the, what is running through is uh, confusion. Uh, you know, whoever thought we'd be dumb enough to run out of baby formula, uh, but we are. And uh, things that, so uh, while one sector, obviously oil is doing quite well and probably will continue for the, the near term. Uh, but uh, it seems that this uh, administration is hell bent on uh, getting out of the oil business. And uh, those of us who are around these things know that uh, you can reduce the amount of oil you use. In fact, manufacturing is constantly trying to reduce the amount of oil that they use because it's a big cost item. And uh, I, I, I just think there's mass confusion about products. I think there's confusion in the data uh, that's being reported. Uh, how much of this is, uh, you know, every manufacturing facility has a mix of products. And, uh, it, you know, I'll, I'll use a house uh, housing analogy. Uh, the, they may be a company that supplies windows and doors. Well, if windows are selling really well, they'll put some production over onto uh, windows for that. If doors are selling well, they'll move the production back and, and go. And I, I think because of the uh, problems that we've had with uh, uh, allocation of where the money's going and where, how it's getting there, uh, we really have created a, a situation where you can have windows, but you can't have doors. And so uh, we're, we're constantly working through those issues. I think that's part of the challenge. You mentioned, also, you mentioned in one of your, uh, uh, in your report about $150 a barrel of oil. Is that, right. is, is that a good way to get rid of using oil by raising a price so, so expensive people won't buy it uh, in other ways? Well, peanut oil, you know. I've always looked at it that uh, higher energy prices, higher oil prices, basically are a tax on growth. You have two investment choices. One is to put it into uh, uh, medical office buildings uh, through a REIT. The other uh, is uh, oil and what we use the oil for. Well, the long-term investment prospects of a uh, uh, REIT project versus an oil project. So. The, the oil is a tax on growth. We, uh, and it also comes down to uh, putting uh, pricing in the hands of the government. Because and that's never a good thing. Uh, Norbert, I, I just want to get to the, the particularly pessimistic New York 
Fed report. Right. What, what, hap what happened there and what's your take on it? Well, uh, the New York Fed and, and the Philly Fed, uh, as do others, have uh, their surveys. Uh, New York came out and the numbers uh, basically were uh, negative and not showing a lot of strength as far as manufacturing activity is concerned. Uh, but the problem I've had with the New York survey is their headline number, that number that makes it into the press release, top of the press release, their headline number is uh, uh, sentiment. How do you feel about the next six months? Uh, is it going to be better? Is it going to be the same? Is it going to be worse? But it's really uh, uh, forecasting. And my experience in manufacturing over uh, a pretty good period of time is that uh, manufacturers aren't any better at forecasting than anybody else. And uh, their crystal ball, sometimes it gets a little uh, sharp, uh, other times it stays uh, out, out it, does, it doesn't really read the story. So I like to have actuals. I, I, uh, what are we doing uh, actually? Are sales better, same or worse? Uh, new orders. And so what we see in, in all of that data right now, uh, everybody was panicking yesterday over the issue of, uh, is this the first sign of the numbers really dropping heavily? And what it was, it was the first shift from having been driven by new orders and production. Now, new orders and production are each 20% of the index in the ISM series. So equally weighted, but as are the other three components, uh, inventories, uh, employment and supplier deliveries. So you get a fairly broad spread of, of uh, the actuals. But what we saw in the data is new orders and production fell, but employment, inventories, and supplier deliveries picked up. Well, uh, those uh, are, are not the things that we wanna uh, really drive right now. New orders and production tend to have more leading properties, particularly new orders. And so we need those to stay strong in order to maintain. So uh, I think we're gonna, I, I think we're headed in a, a, a more downward trajectory, uh, but it's certainly not as bad. Uh, the good news is we're coming off of a much stronger position than what the New York Fed survey indicated. So uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm usually biased in favor of the ISM series in particular, uh, Taiwan, uh, Japan, some of those countries have excellent surveys and really show uh, where the opportunity is. So uh, ho hopefully, uh, uh, 
we'll see other data come out and uh, it'll be more believable uh, from that standpoint. Norbert, excuse me. Um, there's another uh, uh, polling survey report that comes out called the Machine Tool Order Report. And I've been watching that number for, I don't know, 30, 40 years. Right. Uh, it, inherently, it is a prognosticator of what's going to happen in six months. So when the machine tool order goes up in February and March, you're looking at a pretty good fall. Right. Fall months, uh, not fall. Right. Uh, and right now, the numbers are uh, higher than it's been in a long, long time, which would indicate that manufacturing, particularly manufacturing, is going to be strong through uh, through the fall and into the winter. I, I've followed that also, Lou, and I, I think that's right. And you know, it's more about actual than it is sentiment. Correct. Uh, right. So uh, it's, it's one of the surveys that I like because it it, it keeps the forecasting out of it. Uh, I, I just, most of the things that we do that involve a, a strong forecasting component, uh, it's a sure way to make sure you're never right. Uh, <laughs> you may get close, but you, you may never be right for that. Maybe we ought to have more people and more companies and presidents reading the machine tool orders instead of sentiment. That way, they're looking into the future, not about how you felt yesterday. Well, the, the good news is I suspect the companies that are in impacted by the machine tool survey that they, they do see and they do pay attention. Do they make the right decisions? That's maybe another issue uh, because the, they... Uh, they may not always make the right decisions, but at least they're they're using good information to be able to do that. Well, Norbert, uh, a strong report. Uh, I think again, certainly we are trying to uh, look into the future that no one can predict uh, using lots of reports and indicators. Lou and I feel that 2022 is going to remain strong and everyone seems to be pointing to Q1 2023 as perhaps the tipping point. Where are you on all of that? Well, uh, I, I don't have a good feel because of all of this uh, product mix issue, uh, all of the, you know, the other issues that uh, there are a factor in this. If you look at what our major issues are, uh, just to name a few, uh, materials remain in short supply. That's actually somewhat positive for the economy. It means new orders can, can hold up if it does that. Uh, the uh, cost pressures are coming from every direction. And uh, you, you know the services sector uh, adds a lot of cost, but services are terribly difficult to uh, measure in terms of productivity. 
uh, all the discussions we're having in the services sector about $15 an hour or $20 an hour, uh, they're not talking about any productivity along with that. They're, they're, you know, in manufacturing, if we have to raise prices, we're going to look for a way to try to keep that to a minimum of, uh, or negate it completely. In the services, they don't have means of increasing productivity over the short term generally and not real good at it over the long term. So uh, I, I guess I, I'm, I, I wanna stay uh, and see the next six months, Tim, uh, if we make it to the end of the year, uh, then we can start talking about what's changed, what's different and so on. Than, than what we had and, and we'll see this develop as we go. But uh, I, I find it hard to believe that, two, that 23 would be an extraordinary uh, you know, uh, point at which we could look and say, well, things are gonna get better. We're still making a lot of wrong-headed decisions and we can't make those kinds of decisions and, uh, and really think that we're gonna to continue to grow, that we're gonna to continue to improve um, this issue at the border. Um, we, we're, we're going nuts with what we're allowing to take place at the border. Uh, I was listening this morning, they were talking about, uh, we could be at a run rate of a half a million immigrants a month oh that's yeah. something we can afford uh well and there's only one group of people that can pay the bill and that's the same yeah. people that are uh giving uh, the ukraine 40 billion dollars that we're going to have to print specially for them uh i don't know why they uh uh they, uh, well, you've heard me say in the past that uh, we're one of the great counterfeiters of all history. <laughs> I, I can tell you the biggest Ponzi scheme ever. Yes. And I say it doesn't make any difference because nobody's ever going to get their money back. Which <laughs> is, which no, is no, no economy has ever saved their way to prosperity. Uh, they, uh, the, the money that uh, comes through inflation, to pay it off in cheaper dollars, look at where nobody, uh, we were down last week to a dollar five to a euro, uh, uh, or 1.05 euros to dollar. Uh, anyway, uh, we're out of sync completely with the dollar, and uh, we were cheap. You could buy a lot of uh, uh, a lot of dollars, and uh, that comes at a very high price. Yeah, I just filled up my tank yesterday, seventy-five dollars. It broke a record. Yeah, I, I did that, and the line, a sign came on and said, "Your loan is approved." <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
You mentioned a few minutes ago about some of the wrong decisions that are being made. And I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but do you have any of these wrong decisions that, uh, at, at your fingertip and who's making them? Uh, well, well, I already talked about the border and what's right. going on. Yes, you did. So uh, let's, let's take energy policy that we're trying to uh, run, we're, we're, we're trying to run the purchase of uh, oil, the high, price so high that people won't use it. Uh, but there's an awful lot of people, a lot of businesses that can't get away from uh, uh, energy. Uh, you know, if, uh, for instance, in, in the mining industry and the smelting industry and, and all of those, if, if they had cheaper energy trade-offs, they would already be enter, entering into those, into the equation. But there's so much uh, energy cost in commodities in particular uh, do that. Uh, another one is food. Uh, we've got a really, uh, I was telling uh, my wife last night, we were, we were talking about uh, availability of food. And I told her, I said, we, we better get something that we can dehydrate uh, all of our food because we're not going to be able to sustain where we are. Uh, you've got the Ukraine is apparently a huge factor in wheat. Uh, then uh, India, which India always acts to its own benefit. And India has said they're shutting down all grain exporting. And they are a very large grain exporter. Well, so the Americans farmer will be very happy to hear that because the price of our exports will clearly rise and hopefully the American farmer will benefit. Right. Uh, which brings up another area, Tim. Uh, Oklahoma uh, is one of the big grain states for us and so on. And the Chinese have been buying up land in Oklahoma for quite some time and other parts of, of, the, of the West. Uh, so I, I don't know how that all works out, who pays taxes, who doesn't pay taxes, uh, et cetera. But uh, there's, you know, there, there's just a, a number of things. Uh, I, I think we've got a problem with colleges and college education. Uh, I don't think the payback is there on a college degree as there once was. And uh, as those degrees get even more expensive, um, that's gonna be hard to, to continue to, to, to support. Uh, the whole idea of uh, paying off college debt, uh, but that's really saying, okay, we wanna take everybody who did the right thing and make them pay for everybody who did the wrong thing. <laughs> That's right. And uh, I, I think uh, anytime you try to do those things, that, that is the wrong thing. So 
lots of opportunities. I could go on all day is the problem uh, of the things that we see and uh, so on. So you mentioned uh, Norbert about college expenditure and debt and so on. And it, it's fresh on my mind because uh, I, again, I was in Washington DC at my granddaughter's uh, graduation from George Washington. Uh, and there were uh, 31,000 people on the, the National Mall with 5,000 students. Now, at the rate of forgetting about uh, uh, kids getting money from uh, stipends and such, um, a school year at GW is $72,000. Yeah. Multiply that times 5,000. Right. And they don't have a football team. Which <laughs> <laughs> so I only found out yesterday. Because I, I asked my granddaughter, I said, what's the big deal? I mean, why so much money? You're making a bazillion dollars in football. She said, we don't have a football team. Well, she said, we're liberal in intellectuals. We don't do football. So anyway, it comes up to close to a billion dollars a year. Right. They're talking about when kids went to college 20, 30 years ago, my brother went to the University of Maryland. I think he was paying $1,200 a year uh, back 50 years ago. Right. 50, 70. It might have been even a whole lot less than that. Yeah, yeah, it was it was nothing. So, uh, and, and again, you know, we're we're simpletons in manufacturing from a standpoint. We say, okay, so what's the payback? That's four years invested over uh, that you're investing, uh, seventy-two thousand dollars. So you got two hundred eighty-eight thousand dollars that you've paid out for a degree. And that doesn't count if you had to borrow it as you went, because you're already paying a lot of interest as a senior on what you did as a freshman. Right. And uh, I, I, you know, uh, I, I always use the example of an attorney. If an attorney is going to be a partner in a Washington law firm, they can afford probably to pay $288,000 for a degree. But if an attorney is a real estate lawyer, in Alexandria, they probably would be lucky to pay, repay 60000 over the long term of that. Trust so, me when I tell you, if you stay in Washington at a hotel, you have to go to get a federal loan to pay for a night in a hotel. <laughs> Unbelievably expensive. Well, th th that's why they've got trains going in and out. <laughs> and <people laughs> try to use those trains as much as they possibly can. That's right. That's right. Yeah. One of the things that really bothered me about yesterday, and, uh, and actually I'm a, I was born and raised in DC. Um, we didn't have in those days back 50, 60 years ago, we didn't see these tent cities. Right. National Mall, they had tent cities, every park where there was a statue there was a tent city, it is, but we're giving 40 billion to the Ukraine. We could help to take care of some of our own people. We had and already we might, given 80 billion to the US and none of it found its way there. Uh, people bought houses, people bought uh, into a lot of things. Right, 
during that. You know, and I have to go back, Lou, you asked about different things that I saw. Uh, I, of all the things that I see, the, the uh, drug scene with fentanyl, uh, et cetera, uh, I think bothers me more than, than anything because people are, we had over 100,000 people drive, uh, die of drug overdose last year. I heard that. And that's, that's just tragic. Uh, there's a story and a family and uh, that type of thing in, in behind every one of those. It's true. It's true. We, we are desperately in trouble. Uh, however, we have you coming on our show every month to help straighten us out. And uh, Tim, I'll let you do, uh, do the wrap up. Norbert, we appreciate you joining us. Good conversation today. Appreciate the discussion. Thanks for being here. As always. My pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Be well. Will do. And for those of you who are interested in seeing other shows on Manufacturing Talk Radio, please go to jacketmediaco.com and you can find all of our podcasts, the new one coming up very shortly. And we appreciate all of you who are listening to or watching Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.